has said. I've got the easy option, to be honest, because I'm just going to do the introduction to this, make sure we're all on the same page, understand the terms we're talking about, what the timelines are, introduce some of the high-level opportunities and options that come from this, and then, as said, the rest of my colleagues will be doing the actual detailed insight and telling you what this really means for you. Having said that, I think it's always worth pausing for a second just to give a little bit of background. So to be ultra clear, when we talk about REMA, what are we talking about? We're talking about the review of electricity market arrangements. It was a consultation that Bayes issued back on the 18th of July, closing 10th of October. And really, as you all have seen from it, this is a very initial high-level view gathering consultation, arguably almost close to a call for evidence in terms of how you'd like to think about it. Very broad brush to try and gather those views to then tailor it down. Its purpose, we set out, is to identify, assess, and where necessary, and those are their words, not mine, looking to only make sure they make changes if there's actually a good reason for this, if it delivers benefits to the market, this is not going to be change for change's sake. Implement options for reforming the GB market arrangements to ensure that they fully support decarbonised system net zero by 2050, but also by 2035 for that zero electricity market operation. That feeding in, obviously, to looking at the scope and the level that REEM was looking at here. This is about long-term strategic reforms reaching out for decades, not quick fixes to any issues we may be facing this winter. And on that winter comment, subject to security of supply, you can really see some of the more recent events that have been weighing on policymakers there coming through. I'll go into the main timeline and what that means later on, but just suffice it to say, this is very much the beginning of REMA. This is going to be a very, very long-running process with many stages in it, and where we are right now is just on that initial piece. Help shaping views, get them in initially, so that hopefully, as we move forwards, they can target down to what that means. What's it looking to actually deliver? So I won't read verbatim from the slide, but just to pull out a couple of key points here. Step change in deployment of low carbon technologies, i.e. what we need to meet at net zero. Signals for, for flexibility, both more generally and for consumers. So you can see that's about making sure that we're not just consuming and generating as is, but that we're responding to economically efficient signals that we're giving to people and ensuring security of supply. Or to put it another way, and I've just said it very long-windedly, the trilemma, as Dan's already reintroduced us to, affordability, sustainability, and security of supply. You can see that coming through just in slightly more wordy fashions there. And when we talk about the scope, I really think it is worth noting that arguably this is the largest scope, the biggest set of reforms potentially to the GB market since privatisation. Everything is in scope on the um, upstream side of things, wholesale electricity, market design, network charging arrangements, subsidy schemes, balancing services, and approach to that. If you compare that to, you know, things like EMR, which Dan's just introduced, obviously that was just about CFD and CM, to be honest. This is much, much wider and will touch on everything. The only points that are explicitly out of scope are the retail market, what's happening with suppliers, and non-electricity fuels, gas, carbon, things like that. But even those will be impacted indirectly. Suppliers are still going to have to operate in these services. Consumers are still going to have to pay whatever the arrangements kick out. And hydrogen, gas, carbon, they will all be captured by what's happening in the electricity sector. So without overselling it too much, definitely broadly scoped, and therefore why we're talking about it and why you've all come to listen to us today, hopefully. 
So before we dive into it too much, I thought I'd take a step back and talk about the case for change, some of the reasons that have led us to this, because really in my mind, the only way you can understand what Bayes is looking to achieve with this, what it's trying to resolve, is by understanding some of the criticisms and issues it thinks needs to be resolved by it, and therefore how that's going to shape the thinking, the objectives, and the options it takes forwards. There's many of these, I've just put a few up on the screen, and I'll probably just call out a couple of important ones. First of all, I'll say it several more times, I'm afraid, but there is the need to secure the investment for net zero. I think if you look at the latest OBR forecast, it was something like £1.4 trillion we need by 2050 in order to meet net zero. That is an insane amount of money, which therefore we need to make sure our market arrangements reflect that they have market design that investors feel comfortable investing in and which delivers a return that is, you know, equal to the risk and the opportunity being focused. On a more operational side of things, we've had increasing system balancing costs and potentially connection delays and increasing costs there. Again, if you want to just look at the sewer spend, I think it was 2.6 billion for 2021. If you look at what that was for the year before, that's like 50% higher than what it was. Some parties have laid that down that, you know, our approach to system balancing, what that's been doing on how it encourages generators to generate, but also those broader wholesale price spikes, obviously, which Dan was speaking about. And equally, connection delays and reforms. Are we correctly pricing in constraints and what they mean for the system? And then finally, on a broader piece, obviously, we've got decarbonisation extending from the net from the electricity generation side of things, decarbonisation is going to transport heat consumption, all areas where we as an industry probably don't have so much experience operating in, need to make sure these quite technocratic arrangements suit other sectors looking to understand what's going on. And then obviously all of us are aware of the current macroeconomic environment, there are cost of living concerns, energy is both part of those in terms of one of the big drivers, but equally feeding through to other inflationary pressures, food, transport, things like that. And linked to that, energy security as well. Will the lights stay on this winter? Are we happy with how we're sourcing the power? Obviously, those are increasing public pressure. Government needs to do something. And finally, we have an increasingly green engaged public, people who have actually got on board with the idea of decarbonisation, who thought they were on 100% renewable tariffs, then asking the questions, why that they're being told their bills going up as a result of gas prices when they thought they were only being supplied by renewables. So you can see long-term pull factors, but also shorter-term push factors flowing through to here. So I think those give us a bit of an idea where we're going. Turning around entirely then to the other side, similar thinking, but looking at what the assessment criteria Bayes is talking about. Because again, these are really important if you're looking to engage with Rima and shape Bayes' thinking or just if you're looking to understand where they're going to go and what it means to your organisation. So again, running left to right, I'm sorry, there's too many words on here. I've been in Cornwall too long. I'm a bit indoctrinated. I won't read them all out. Least cost, make sure it is the lowest cost for consumers in terms of what they pay, because we need to remember that at the end of the day, it is the consumer who pays for everything in the market. Having said that, I would make the argument that least cost is not the same as best value, and that when we're talking about big strategic fundamental reforms that are going to be with us to 2035, 2050, I'd far rather we were targeting best value rather than least cost. Those are a bit different and one which probably needs to be borne in mind. Equally, we've got deliverability. We are talking about, at the end of the day, very, very complex arrangements when we talk to the electricity system but recognising that while we can all get excited from a 
technocratic point of view, what does it mean that this is fundamental to keeping the lights on and to the running of all stages of the economy? We need to make sure that whatever change is taken forwards can actually be delivered. Can we design it, implement it in such a way that actually we can implement it in the time we need it to, but also that it functions? And then can people operate under it day to day? This means that there probably will be a bit of let's say conflict as we move through the arrangements between those which may be economically pure, in theory send the most efficient cost price signals, but which might actually mean the complexity is too high for parties to fully engage with it, for investors to understand it and want to bring it in, or just for it to be designed and delivered to meet the objectives we want without getting lost in the weeds. I've slightly run ahead to my next point because I'll always do that, but there is investor confidence as well. I already said we need £1.4 trillion of investment out by the end of 2050. We need to make sure that the market arrangements support that and pull through what we're looking for. That's not just for new assets looking ahead, although that is obviously very, very important. We need to build and deploy a lot of new things to meet net zero, but also for parties who invested in existing assets. There's no quicker way to destroy investor confidence in the market than making retrospective changes which don't protect people who have invested on what was at the time a sensible business plan. So that is one which I think will be sitting very high in Bayes' um, consciousness as it goes through this. And then finally, whole system flexibility. So a couple of words to drag out on this one. Flexibility, again, this is the idea of sending maybe more direct, more respondable price signals to parties in the market. Will they understand and respond to them how you want? But also, again, you can see on the whole system front, we're talking about heat, hydrogen, transport, recognising we need to think outside of just spinning bits of metal in fields, generating power. On the timeline then, again, I've probably already said this, but this is not a quick process. We're going to be doing this for a long time. We're currently in the initial consultation, and this is very much based, has been clear, a desire to get views. They want to use this as an opportunity to see how people respond to all of these different options to help understand what should be taken forwards and shaped. Following that, Bayes did say in its initial consultation that the plan was in 2023, it would come back and respond with options for what it thinks should be taken forwards, what the best opportunities to deliver are. If I'm being honest, given current events and how we're seeing things, that may be running away with them. We may see a shorter time scale than that, but this is at least what was initially discussed. And then looking ahead, we are not sure talking about a short term establishing a delivery plan or implementation. If you look at some of the options under consideration, things like locational marginal pricing, the ESO has obviously come out and said it thinks it would take five to eight years in order to implement LMP. Even if you made the decision that's what you wanted to progress with next year, that's still going to take you to back end of this decade, start of next decade to implement it. And that's assuming we make the decision next year and what we want to take forward. So just worth bearing that in mind that it's not going to be quick. This is not about solving, as I said, any concerns about this year or next year situations, although as we'll be talking about later, some of those discussions are starting to cross over with REMA, starting to potentially feed in, but equally need to remember what we're looking at here. So having said all of that, I will actually now talk about some of the things which REMA might be able to deliver. I won't go into the exact options and potential models because Kate's going to be talking about that after me, but I thought it was just worth looking at the key market design principles which are potentially open to Bayes as part of this process, how it could look to deliver the different arrangements. So first of all, first of all there's the locational piece. So 
under what geographic boundaries are we designing our wholesale market? Do you have a national market like we currently do, where you see the same price of electricity if you're a generator up in North Scotland or a consumer down in Southeast England? Putting aside network charges and things, just thinking about the wholesale market. And equally, do you pricing constraints or not? So currently, constraints are not considered within our wholesale market. If in theory, you can sell your power up in North Scotland, even if there's a constraint to flow it down to fancy coffee shops down here, you're still able to trade that out and receive the value. Or do you potentially go for a more locational price system, locational marginal pricing being one of the key headline options under consideration for REMA? And under what level do you do that? So for those of you who aren't aware, LMP, locational marginal pricing, would see different prices depending on where you are in the country, set by what's going on with the fundamentals in that area. Are you in a generation dominated area or a de demand dominated area? Are you helping with that or pushing against it? And therefore that will impact the wholesale price you see. And equally, are there constraints between wherever you are to flow that power into the wider system? How do we price those in? That can be done on a couple of different levels. So we can talk about zonal pricing, just doing this on a relatively large scale. That could be on a country level, so just Scotland, England and Wales, potentially. That could be on a next granularity down, potentially for DNO regions, given we've already got those in place and use them for many other things. Or equally, you could go down to a proper nodal position, thousands of different nodes across the country, each with their own different pricing and opportunities. Some people have put out there that they think that this locational pricing would obviously provide more granular signals. It may provide more economically efficient incentives for parties looking to understand either where they're citing new assets. Are you looking to site a generator near demand or are you putting it the wrong side of the congestion boundary and therefore not helping the system? On the other side of things, is this deliverable? Is it a little bit too complex? Can people understand and engage with it? How does it link to status quo decisions that have been made. You've then obviously got pricing mechanism. So how do we go about determining what price is seen in the wholesale market? Again, under our current system, we've got basically what's known as short run marginal cost. The idea that when we're looking to understand what the wholesale price is, you take the most expensive megawatt, the most expensive asset in the market. Typically right now it's a gas plant, but that can change depending on what's happening. And you know, add up fuel costs, carbon costs, O&M costs, all of that. That sets the wholesale price because that's the most expensive thing and everyone trades at that. Or do you potentially use more of a long-run marginal cost basis? Idea at the start of your process, you add up your capex cost, your cost of capital, expected O&M, things like that. Divide that down by the expected number of generation hours over the period. That gives you your pound per megawatt hour to deliver, which for my simple mind is how people go about pricing for things like CFDs fundamentally. You can see that feeding through how strike prices are determined, and that is how I conceptually think about that second one, although depending on the market splitting arrangement taken, it may be a bit separate from that. Fundamentally and traditionally, normally it's been stated that, you know, short run marginal cost might be better for fuel plant because you're responding to what's happening on that. You're seeing different costs on a settlement period by settlement period basis, things like gas peaking plant, whereas unfueled plant have traditionally been seen more appropriate for long run marginal cost. But and see how that feeds through. And that then equally leads to my point about production sources there. Do you have a single national market for just all technologies? Again, in theory, able to access the same wholesale price if you're some solar panels, or if you're a nuke or a gas generator, or do we split it by different technologies? 
And those two combined, pricing mechanism, production source, form the other key headline change that Reem is talking about, the split wholesale market. Finally then, there's the idea of dispatch. Are we doing self-dispatch or central dispatch? Won't be unfair. Sometimes as an industry, I think we get a bit too worried and concerned about dispatches, the different options. This is fundamentally whether you are the one deciding when to trade out your asset, whether that is being centrally command and controlled. I would argue that that's probably not the key headline decision in where we take these wholesale arrangement forwards, what do they mean, but instead something that probably flows out of which of the other options we take. Are we talking about LNP? Are we talking about a national price? And therefore, without being unfair to it, it's probably a second order consideration. So last couple of points then. Also just worth remembering that REMA is not an island. This is obviously the major piece of energy industry reform we're currently thinking about right now, but there are a large number of other changes going on around it. Again, I've just pulled out a few on here, both within the energy industry, the pot zero voluntary CFD discussions we're seeing in the short term, the network charging, significant code reviews, things like the energy price guarantee, and obviously the business supports we've just seen announced today, but equally wider things, half hourly settlement, smart meter rollout, all of those. And then again, wider macroeconomic developments inflationary pressure and cost of living, even things like Brexit still obviously will need to be considered as we go through this. I'd argue that given REMA is a strategic development, something which needs to be looking beyond those immediate discussions, this will be a bit of a circular process. These will impact on REMA, obviously, they will think about things they'll be feeding in. REMA will equally impact upon them. There's arguments for things like, is it worth progressive network charging reform if we're moving to a location or marginal price going ahead? How do those interact? But we don't want a situation where our major reform is changing from pillar to post based on the latest crisis. It should be rising above this and moving forwards. Finally, I was just going to leave a couple of questions while my more well-informed colleagues talk through the other details and you know, both what you're thinking about this conference and thinking more broadly with responding to Rima what it means for you. Do we actually need market reform to meet our net zero targets? Dan's poll obviously suggested that the initial engagement suggested we do, but equally, if you look at the success of things like the CFD in terms of bringing forwards significant volumes of low carbon generation at ever decreasing prices, is that required? What does good look like? What is Bayes actually targeting as a result of this? What is the end goal we want to achieve? And once we've figured that out, are there any examples of good practice more broadly we can learn from either internationally where other people might have been using things like locational marginal pricing, maybe over in the US, or even from other industries, utilities, finance, things like that, there might be bits of good practice we can take. And then are we prescribing winners and losers? Are there particular technologies or business plans we're supporting or harming as a result of this? And beyond the very important impact of those individual parties, to what extent does that actually matter? And do we care about that as UK PLC? Hopefully I think that's everything, so I'll hand over to Kate.